You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack in the sub-zero temperatures of St. Louis, Missouri, joined by... Hey, this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles, California. And I'm assuming it's not sub-zero out there. Uh, no, it's not even close. Oh, I, I my God! It's really warm right now. It was in the 60s today. Isn't that stupid? You are spoiled, my friend. Absolutely spoiled. I'm not trying to deny it at all. I'm definitely spoiled. Well, I would just like to remind our listeners that a new episode drops every Wednesday on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. So every Wednesday, there's a new episode. Look forward to it. We look forward to doing this show every week. Well, we have a very special guest tonight, a friend of mine, a friend of Sam's. She works in the entertainment industry, and she's a big music lover. If we had an, an, a studio audience, we'd ask them to give it up for the lovely Rebecca. Say what's up, Rebecca. What's up? Good to see everybody and glad to be on the show. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. And every time I tune in, I learn something new. Well, just to take the pressure off you, just imagine you're like that 70s show and we're in Eric Foreman's basement (laughs) right now. That's right. It's just, it's just you, me and Kelso and, and Fez, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've got the seventies hair for it today. So it works. Where's my toast? (laughs) I have needs. I have needs. (laughs) <laughs> that's such a great show we, we need to dig that one back out of the archives that and freaks and geeks freaks and geeks oh that's, that's a great show great show so rebecca how long have you worked in the entertainment industry oh probably 15 years now um yeah i would say a good 15 years and you are a huge fan of what we're getting ready to talk about here i don't think we said it at the beginning of the show but sam wade came up with this idea to do an icons series where we talk about major musical, possibly other, but basically musical icons. And we're going to talk about Prince this week. And you have some really cool Prince stories that we're going to get to in a minute here. Prince is an unbelievable artist. I can't wait to talk about it. You know way more about him than I do. I spent the last couple days doing a deep dive on Prince. I wouldn't sound like an idiot. (laughs) Standing out in the purple rain. Yeah. Oh, the purple snow in St. Louis. (laughs) That's right. But, but before we get to that, you had an incredible encounter of the Beatle kind. This kind of gives our listeners an insight as to how close you've actually have been to celebrities, closer than most people would ever dream to. And you actually, I think you get kind of used to it from what I understand. You, it's just your, your job. But even this particular story, you were starstruck. So I'm just going to I'm just going to leave it there and then you take it from there because I can't wait to hear this story. Well, I think this is a perfect story for you guys because it hits upon the icons. And I know that the Beatles have uh, several big icons for you guys. And Paul McCartney is one of your big ones. So absolutely, I I know for Sam in particular, he's a big influence. But uh, uh, many years ago, it's actually about 20 years ago now, I was working at a women's magazine. And every year we had a women's luncheon where we would celebrate women around the world who were doing good and making a difference for others. And um, this particular year, we happened to honor Heather Mills, who at the time was dating Paul McCartney. So her work was in, you know, uh, landmine activation and trying to get rid of landmines and raising awareness about the dangers of them. That's right. And um, we found out the last minute that Paul McCartney was going to be joining. And so that created a lot of excitement. Wow. 
the fact that he would actually fly over and join us. And the event was a really nice, prestigious event. It also had Hillary Clinton, um, Duchess Sarah Ferguson. There were many really amazing honorees. And, Just a normal um, crowd. Yeah, <laughs> no, no big deal. Just your usual crowd. Like you go to the supermarket, you see these people all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the the event was wonderful and everybody got their awards and their acknowledgments. And then at the end of the event, um, I was really distracted with trying to tear everything down and strike everything. You know, we were at Lincoln Center, had a very huge, beautiful room, tons of tables. And uh, Paul McCartney was just kind of lingering. And, you know, Heather Mills was off, I think, speaking with somebody, maybe the press. And so uh, Paul McCartney was hanging out with Hillary Clinton and Marlo Thomas. And after a wow. little bit of chit chat, you know, I think somebody happened to notice a grand piano in the room and they kind of moseyed over there. And so I think one of the most special kind of memories in my life that I really appreciate a lot more now was that moment of being there for this kismet kind of organic performance by Paul McCartney. And he sat on the piano bench and I think Hillary joined him and Marlo Thomas was leaning over the piano and they just kind of had this very nice and formal, little friendly, fun sing-along with Paul McCartney playing the piano and wow. people kind of singing along. So so how many people were in the room at this point that you're, you're standing here being a part of this moment? What would you say? Very, uh, very few people. The only people in the room were uh, the, the folks who were striking the tables and cleaning out everything. Wow. Uh, maybe there were a few, uh, one or two press people over on the side kind of closing things out. And, and otherwise it was just me and maybe one or two other people on my team in the room. So it was an extremely uh, bird's eye view and like really courtside performance, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was a really special moment. And I wish either one of you could have been there because I know you absolutely would have <laughs> just loved being in that moment. Oh my well. God. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> that is an incredible that is an incredible, incredible story. So were what they all were they all singing? Was Hillary singing too, or was she just watching? I don't I don't imagine that you'd want to cut off Paul McCartney, but if if he's playing, I I think there's part of me that would not want to sing, but there's another part of me that would think, when am I ever gonna to get to sing with Paul McCartney? So I'm gonna be like, la 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 Right. Hey, I'm sure <laughs> they were. Na, 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 na. Right. It's got to be that. <laughs> <laughs> there were some people singing along, but I can't recall exactly if it was Hillary because I was a little bit distracted and trying to uh, get the room broken down. We had a deadline to be out of there. And sure. so to be honest, part of me was just sweating a little bit, <laughs> was trying to get everybody to kind of wrap up, get out. But that's um, amazing. That is yeah. an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that. You're wow. Welcome. That sets us up nice for icons it really right? does like maybe we'll have to have you on again to tell that to tell us you know more stories about paul mccartney when we talk about paul mccartney sure. but i couldn't think of a better way to start off you know the soft open for icons and that story that's incredible no that is that's really <laughs> incredible so what we're gonna do here we're gonna go through what we know about prince and i will say that what i know about prince is not nearly as much as what you know about prince but the iconic shot for me of prince is the Super Bowl. I want to say it was either 2000, it was some early 2000s. I should have looked this up. I want to say 2004. I could be wrong about this. But it was, Sam, can you look that, that up for us? sounds right. And all I remember- Yeah, I'm checking out right now. All I remember was that it was pouring down rain. This man is strapped to an electric guitar, has an electric guitar strapped on, which if anybody has ever played an electrified instrument, you know water is, well, water and electricity don't go together. And Prince did not give a blip. 
He did not give a blip. No, I mean, he's out there in the rain, also in high heels. Yes. And guitar performing flawlessly his amazing songs. You know, he had that guitar that shaped like the symbol that his name was for a while. And then like the the big like curtain goes up and you see the like the shadow of him playing. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it's oh, very yeah. like rock star phallic, just like rocking out Purple Rain. I mean, come on. Well, and do you remember? 2007, by the way. Two, two, it was okay, in 2007. 2007. Yeah. Do you remember that he did a cover of the Foo Fighters, The Best of You? Amazing. He started playing it, and I, I mean, he had such his own spin on it that I, I was like, I know this song, but I couldn't place it until he got to the to the chorus. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is freaking Foo Fighters. And I, I love the Foo Fighters. imagine what that was like. <laughs> I love the Foo Fighters, dude, but this, this might have been a better version. It may have been better because it was just laid back in a way that I never would have pictured it. And uh, so, Rebecca, let's just talk about when did you first get into Prince? Because you've been you've basically been a fan your whole life, I'm assuming. Yeah, you know, Prince has really been the soundtrack to my whole life. Um, so I started listening to him back in the 80s when he was first making it. And um, I can't say I saw him first. I heard him first. And okay. it was uh, the song that really stands out was Little Red Corvette. Yeah. You know, those those songs from that album, Let's Go Crazy, 1999, Little Red Corvette, those were the songs that were played at parties and as loud as we could crank it up in cars, <laughs> racing around, you know, a small town in Alabama trying to find out who was out that night. So, yeah, you know, those those were some of the songs that were just the soundtrack, some of the most pivotal memories of my life in my young adulthood. Really, What a great record, too. I mean, like that's pre- purple rain but he's already well i mean prince came out of the gate fully realized like part of it makes him an icon but it's like at that point he was really picking up steam and i can imagine you know just hearing that song everywhere in fact little you know music history note that song little red corvette actually inspired stevie nicks to create that song stand back and i think that you know there's some stories out there they were a little bit concerned about that but um when she played it for prince he ended up liking it so much he played on the song isn't that awesome? Well, one of the it just shows something about like his his heart as a musician too. Like he's a true artist. One of the things that I read or and I watched a documentary on him was I think he he got he got his first record contract I think in '78, which I didn't realize he had gone back that far. And yeah. I think he was 17. And what I remember reading was that he played all 27 instruments on his album. Yes. I, Isn't I, that insane? I had no idea. I knew he was one of the most amazing guitar players to ever live. I knew he could play the piano. Did I know that he could play probably drums, organs? I'm, I don't know what else he was possibly doing. Maybe he got out of sitar for all I know. I don't know. <laughs> that guy, he would, I mean, you know, like up until I think, I think um, Parade was the first record that was actually the revolution playing on the album. I think. I think so. For the, for the live tracks, tracks from uh, Purple Rain everything else up to that point was mostly him playing. It was one of the early managers got hold of his music and um, was basically like, who is this band? Because he was very impressed by all of the tracks. You know, the guitar was locked tight, the drums, all the vocals, like everything on it was so locked down tight. He was so impressed and he kept asking, who's this band? (laughs) And he was absolutely floored to learn that that was Prince on every single thing that he heard. Yeah. Wow. Yep, and and from what I, what I was able to learn, the band he was playing in previous to that, he would run around and tell everybody how to play their instruments, and he would pick up the bass and be like, "Here, you should thump it like this, or the drums like this, the piano like this," and he 
it sounds bossy, but it's not bragging if you can do it. You know what I mean? Right. That's right. Well, that guy, you know, I mean, he definitely like proved his worth every single time he sat down to create something like we'll talk about it more later, I'm sure. But like he was he was ruthless and and uh, achieving, you know, trying to achieve perfection in in his prolific output of music that there's so much even still locked away in a vault somewhere. <laughs> the count I got and this is Wikipedia, so I, I don't it, it could it's usually accurate when it comes to discographies, but they, he released 39 albums and some of them were double. And I think there was actually a triple album in there at some point. 39 albums. So wow. he died in 2016. He got started in 78. That's 22 plus 16 is 30. Wow. 38. It's almost an album a year. That, that's that's what I call doing math on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I impressed myself. So that's basically almost an album a year for 38 years. 39. Yeah. Get yeah, 30, 39 years. It's insane. No, wait a minute. That's that's more than an album a year. It is. And consider that, you know, part of his beef with Warner Brothers when he was under contract was that he was so prolific in making so much music. He wanted to roll it out a lot more quickly than they wanted to. And Warner Brothers was afraid that the, the market would get saturated. So that was a lot of um, the fallout that happened there is he didn't have control over his music and wanting to get it out to the fans. And he felt that they wanted to stagger it too much to try to make money off of it. And so kind of that's how that went down. He was that prolific. He was amazing, too, and definitely had some guts to be like, OK, um, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to take on the record industry and actually went and like legally got his name changed to a symbol so it invalidate the <laughs> contracts that he was in the only other person at that time period i can think of that that would really take on the recording industry that way would have been tom petty when he was uh in that confrontation with his label like right before um damn the damn the uh damn the torpedoes and like prince was just like hey you know what i'm just gonna change my name you know because i'm still gonna do whatever i want <laughs> that's incredible Except one of the funny stories about that is when he changed his name to the symbol, um, the media didn't really know quite how to capture that. So they referred to him as the artist known yep. formerly Prince. Uh. And then it and then they shortened that to be Tap Cap. So people started <laughs> referring to him as Tap Cap. Tap Cap. Tap and uh, he was he was not really happy about that. Tap Cap. I remember when that happened and I this was I was still in my homeschooled kind of just out of fresh out of the homeschool like a half-baked piece of bread coming out of an oven all <laughs> malformed and crap. And I remember hearing about this. I knew Prince. I knew the name because I, I kind of associated him with Michael Jackson because that it was kind of a similar, not the exact same, but it was similar genre. And I sure. remember I remember hearing through some way, I don't know if it was probably on the TV or something. We we were kind of sheltered. We didn't watch a lot of TV, but Prince has changed his name. And I, was, I saw this symbol and I'm like, what the hell is that? And, but, but I didn't realize there was a method to his madness. He was actually trying to circumvent the legalities of the record industry. And he did, I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating it must've been for those lawyers when he changed his name. Cause you can't, they can't, I mean, what do you refer to him as? You don't, there's not even, there's not even a name for it. And I remember seeing the symbol and I was like, this guy's gone off his, off his rocker. And Prince was, let's just put it that he was eccentric. He was not crazy. He was the opposite of crazy. He was crazy like a fox. And I, I, in one of the interviews I watched of his ex-wife, I think it was his first wife, and they said, what is Prince like in the morning? She goes, 
First of all, Prince is not up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) She said morning is usually two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And she's like, he likes what they say. He likes Tostitos. Uh, He likes to watch TV. But there was so much about him that was beyond definition. But I feel like if you are truly a brilliant artist, and that's why I, I will never be considered a brilliant artist. I'm pretty boring when it comes. I mean, I got the Star Wars toys behind me and my skateboards and all. You guys know my yeah. you guys know my background, but I'm not brilliant enough to be to get away with being crazy. I can't say it's uh <laughs> 7:24 p.m. on February the 15th in St. Louis, Missouri and I need a giraffe in my backyard. Stat. I can't say that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Snowstorm be damned. I need a giraffe now. But Prince that's the kind of world he lived in. But once again, I've heard the same thing about Michael Jackson. Michael, their brain is just on a different level that I don't think, I don't want to say you can't hold them to the same standards. Cause I think, you know what, I think, you know what I mean by that. I just feel like when your brain is so artistic that what the, what is, isn't the left side of your brain, the artistic side? I think that, I think the, the, the left side is usually associated with logic and the right is more exactly. the creative. Yeah. Okay. So his- it doesn't matter. He was definitely middle brain. Like he was able to handle both sides of the creative equation and the business side, at least later in life. I, I, unless I'm wrong, Rebecca, do you know? No, um, I, I don't know much about his business life in terms of that. I just know his creative side. Well, I know that he definitely was, you know, people would describe him as flamboyant. They, um, I think he, you know, sometimes had a, a reputation for being controlling, um, but he also was a, a person that knew, that had a vision that uh, was going to see it through. And I think that he he created that world around himself in order to 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 make it possible to to be that way. That's you know that's why he built Paisley Park the way that he did. It's true. They talk about how he built the universe that he wanted, uh, the the people that he trusted. It was a small group you know, normally that was around him at all times. And uh, he was able to tune out a lot of the outside distraction that way. Well, let's just jump into the meat of this uh, episode. You got to walk through, presumably, a lot of areas of Paisley Park that are off limits. Can you can you explain that? And how did you, how were you allowed? Please tell me you didn't break in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, you know, he died in April of 2016. Yeah. And- you know, by the summertime, the family was trying to figure out, you know, what do we do about paying the tax bills and, you know, all of that. So they decided to turn Paisley Park into a museum. I don't want to say they decided to because Prince had been working towards that, you know, on his own. And many of the things that I saw in Paisley Park were staged by him and presented by him a long time ago, knowing that one day he would want fans to have access to it as museums. So, wow, you know, in this case, the family had to think about that a little bit sooner than they, you know, ever thought they would. And um, by October, they were getting ready to open. And uh, Paisley Park is in Chanhausen, which is a city just outside of Minneapolis. Okay. And um, so what happened was the city council, this was about to open and everybody was kind of pushing forward with it. And the city council of Chanhausen um, basically said, whoa, 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 we haven't really thought through this fully with what that means for traffic flow and all of the people that are going to come in. And we haven't zoned, you know, this building to be a museum. We haven't thought about all this. So there was some court proceedings to kind of put everything to a halt. But there was, I caught wind of a news article, just a very short one, that there had been a reprieve. And basically the city council had decided to kind of table the conversation, which gave the Paisley Park folks about three days 
uh, in which they had a permit to open it up and do kind of a small trail run as a museum. <laughs> so, so what was you? So you were like, I'm going. Yeah, I, there was no. <laughs> I dropped everything. I bought a ticket, and I mean, I was there the next week. So wow. Um, it was a very kind of fast breaking thing. So I would say, you know, I got to go in. Obviously, it's a museum and it's fully functioning now. Um, what I would say is I got to go in at the very beginning before it was really finally honed and was going to be what it was going to be. So that gave me access to, you know, a lot of things and opportunities and sites that probably aren't there now. I know for one thing, um, when I went, Prince's Remains were right there in the opening foyer, Ooh. which is kind of crazy. Wow. They're not they're not on display at all anymore. Um, they were on the floor and the remains were in an urn that was shaped as Paisley Park. So there was kind of like this glass case and it was inside the case. And now you might expect to see his remains at the end of a tour. Right. So it was this really abrupt, shocking moment to kind of walk in through the front door. <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> or, wow. or not at all. Or not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, yeah, like hi Prince. Yeah, <laughs> he's before, like hey, he's like welcome to my house <laughs> before you go anywhere wow you're amazing. just confronted with the remains and i just remember you know the shock of everybody that i was with in the group there there were very small groups that were on tour that you know had also taken advantage of the opportunity but um just the shock of before the tour has even begun and you've just walked into the big atrium which was reportedly his favorite place in paisley park you know and it's got this pyramid um skylight and it all had significance, like the pyramid skylight meant there is no ceiling here. You can go straight up to the sky with your thoughts and your ideas and That's your creativity. Cool. His doves were in there, Majesty and Divinity, which, by the way, actually have some songwriting credits on uh, his song Arboretum for the cooing they had in the background for kind of the ambient noise, ambient noise. So I got to ask, were they, were they crying? <laughs> <laughs> they So interesting story, though. They, they stopped cooing after he died. Um, and they yeah, so it's when Dove stopped crying, I guess. Oh. Um, I had to, that, I had to make that joke. You got you got to forgive me. <laughs> well, it turns out it was relevant because they actually did stop crying and stopped cooing. They started, you know, the, the Paisley Park folks started pumping in music, and they started singing again. the The Doves actually have died now. The you know Divinity just died a few weeks ago. And oh, wow. divinity lasted 28 years. I think the average age is like 12 to 15 years. That's dubs. amazing. So wow. It was amazing. Um, but of course he would have doves. Yeah. He loved doves. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He loved them. So those were his pets and he had them for a very long time. Wow. And they were right there in, um, in the atrium where you could see. So you kind of start the tour off, like looking at the doves and you're kind of wowed by the fact that the walls are painted blue with clouds and, it's very, you know, open to creativity. And all of a sudden you're just stopped short by, wow, those are his remains. Um, yeah. So some of the people I was with were so shocked that they were crying and weeping and, yeah. you know, they talked about, you know, how they, they had put the, the remains inside the columns of Paisley Park. And I remember just thinking what an odd place to put the remains inside the the columns of the miniature Paisley Park, but was it something about like was he making a metaphor about how he was the foundation of Paisley Park? And that's what, yeah, I like, wonder. Didn't, didn't, did Minneapolis sound like all of this? Maybe he was the pillars of the institution. It sounds like I mean he would be bold enough a person and a big enough character to 
to, to do something like that. Yes. Right. It was, it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I, that is definitely one of the things that I had the benefit of seeing that many people did not because a few months, like I think by December, they had lifted the remains up to a balcony. Mm -hmm. And then I know recently um, they're not on display at all anymore from what I understand. I haven't been back since then, but let that me, was one of the things I got to experience that was crazy. Let me ask Let me ask you this. I got to ask because me and Sam like to be kind of searchers. We're always looking for the unanswered. Did you feel any vibes in there? I'm not saying it had to be a ghost per se, but did you feel Prince in there? You know what I mean? Did you feel his essence? I mean, I don't, I don't see how you couldn't, at least from the so much the wall painting, his pets, but I mean, explain, explain the vibes that you were picking up in there. Cause I, I, you had to been getting some strong, strong vibes. You know, so the vibes I got, I, here's what I'll say. I wanted to find something. I really did. I wanted to pick up some kind of feeling that maybe he was still there. And, you know, as being a big a fan as I was, that maybe there was some connection I could make, but I have to say, no, I mean, my, the connections I made were strictly to him as an artist because you were so overwhelmed with everything on display and so overwhelmed with everything he did. I mean, there were his costumes, his platinum records, you know, there were so many things, his props, his motorcycle, there, all the essence of his life and his creations were in that space. And so, you know, staring at the urn and the remains, I would love to say, yes, I felt something, but truthfully, no. And I don't know if that's good or bad, you know, maybe he has, completely moved on i know we met with a, a sound engineer who was just kind of still there trying uh -huh. to figure out what to do um and the sound engineer was in one of his editing bays and you know people asked him like have you ever picked up on anything and he said the same thing he said no you know i'd love to say there were bumps in the night but there really aren't so was there kind of like any like a ephemera uh, at this point because this is not long after um you know his, his passing was there kind of any ephemera things left undone in the place? Did it still kind of at all look like Prince had been there recently? It did, yeah. Wow. So there, <laughs> you know, I think some of the stuff, you know, they have left as it was. But, you know, I'm not sure if people are still allowed inside the office or if they can kind of pass through. But one of the benefits was just being able to spend in a, a lot of time inside his office where he had just come back from his his most recent tour kicked his shoes off under a side table, papers all over his desk, a little wow. bit messy. Um, Wait, you know, so I, you you saw his shoes just kind of discarded under the desk? Yeah, and I, if I remember <laughs> wow. correctly, they were more like on the sneaker side. They weren't, they weren't, you know, any of his boots. They, they weren't like his, his beetle boots or whatever you want to call them with the sequins on them? Exactly, none yeah. of those. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it, that was, to me, that was the most surreal place probably where I picked up the most of him because, you know, it was a little bit messy. It was just like, you know, his briefcase, he had something that looked like a briefcase kind of just dropped against his desk. And you could just picture that he had just come in, dropped yeah. everything off and moved on to what other part of the building he was going to. So that, oh, was, wow. re that was really cool. Um, no, he, know, were, mm -hmm. he died in Paisley Park, am I right? He did die in Paisley Park in one of the elevators yeah. there. And there are several elevators. His personal, you know, space was on the second floor. And somebody in our group kind of inquired about which elevator. And they, did they, they still, take you to the elevator? No. And they still don't. And okay. it, they discourage the question because what they say yeah. is, you know, 
now they want to celebrate his life and not yeah. be focused. Really That's good. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. I mean, the tour is about 60 minutes or it was at the time. And I would say we were in there for about two and a half hours. Wow. Um, so because of kind of the weird place they were in, it just afforded us a lot of opportunity to, um, you know, go and do a lot of things. We played, you know, on his ping pong table at night. Uh-huh. Oh my God. That's like Dave Chappelle stuff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> um, what a great sketch. It's a great sketch. I've seen though, you know, there's a lot of the same um, things that I, that I saw that are still there on the tour. So if anybody wants to go on the tour, it's an amazing tour. You're going to see his studios. You're going to see where he hung out, the little kitchen where he would go and watch sports and make himself, you know, grilled cheese sandwich or whatever. Um, so there's still really cool things to see. There were just little things that I was able to take advantage of that that were just really unique to that moment. And the final thing, too, was just I'm not sure if they still have the chef there, but at the time, the chef who had cooked for Prince, you know, for the past three years had stayed on board until he figured out what to do next. Wow. And uh, so at the end of the tour, it kind of dumped you out into this half cafe, half kind of loose merchandise type of gift shop. And um, you could order off the menu of some of his favorite items made by oh. his chef. Sweet. Oh, cool. so, <laughs> so I remember I had some minestrone soup and I had his favorite dessert, which was a peanut butter chocolate type of dessert. And I brought some home with me and gave people. That's cool. Who were also fans. But yeah, that was a really unique experience. And it's just one of those opportunities where if you see something, grab it, you know, because the chance could just be gone. I like that. And, you know, part of me says that, too, because I was really upset because I was planning to go to his piano and microphone tour in Atlanta. And I had a business meeting in Detroit and wasn't going to make it back for the concert in time. So I looked at the schedule and I saw, you know, his tour list and I thought, well, I'll just try to catch a different tour because I'd never seen him in person perform. And, um, you know, I guess what it was the next week or so that he died. And I was just so crushed that I missed that opportunity. And so I, I just think it's a lesson. And if you see something cool, just do it, grab it, because you'll be so happy that you took the chance instead of just losing it and regretting it forever. I believe you when you say that, because I know that that's how you live your life a lot of the time. And I think that this is an incredible story that you told from this because you really did seize the moment. And I, I actually have one question about like when you went to Paisley Park. Yes. Um, because I want to know if you got to take a tour of his studio, because what some oh, people yeah. may not oh, know. Yeah is that, that when, so, so Prince built this complex at Paisley Park and from the outside, it kind of looks like an office building that there should be like a call center inside. It was really nondescript, and, but inside he built a well-equipped studio that he was always trying to improve and get the latest sound and technology in there. And he, he employed an engineer on staff that would be there basically at his beck and call whenever he was inspired. And the stories are that sometimes he would write two or three songs in a day and just like kind of hammer through them and so, so much of his life was spent in that studio. Did they take you in there? Like, what was that space like? They did. Oh, they took sweet. Us there and <laughs> and it, it was amazing. It, you know, it was kind of everything you might imagine. But one of the things I'll say, we did get to hear a new song from the vault that had never been heard before. Which was oh. They let us listen to some music. Um, the, here's what I'll say that really struck me about Prince and this entire facility. And that is that, the studios, the editing bays, they were chock full of everything that he needed. 
but yeah. it wasn't recently renovated or redone or whole technology overhaul. You know, he was somebody who believed that um, he had what he needed to make the music. And the entire facilities was pretty much exactly as it was in the 80s when he had built it. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was an impressive studio. It was really big. You know, there is a, you know, you could see other rooms where he had been writing music and put the sheet paper down and the pencil on top of it and took off and it's just left where it was. Oh, my God. You know, uh, this kind of reminds me of Graceland, but in almost a cooler way, because I don't think, I mean, Elvis was known for a lot of things, but I don't think songwriting was one of them. In fact, people complain that he got too much into the movies later on in his life and didn't didn't do enough music. Um, yeah. So, 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 for instance, this is a little sidetrack, but I saw there was a jam session with Elvis and his band, and they were doing a cover of Get Back. Okay. And, sure. And you could see that he knew how to play, and he knew how to sing, and he knew, knew how to jam. Can you imagine if Elvis would have taken the time instead of doing whatever else he was doing to have like a, and I mean, he may have had a studio, but I know he didn't use it like Prince did. I got to no, be too busy getting on like airplanes and flying to Denver on the spur of the moment to get like some banana and peanut butter sandwich. You yeah. Know? And doing his karate and doing his karate crap. You know, did you ever see the videos of Elvis doing karate? It's embarrassing, dude. They're the pe- definitely a character, man. He lived it up. He, he it ended up like, you know, to his detriment, but he lived it up for sure. Yeah. We're going to do Elvis at some point, but Prince, I feel like, I I don't know I don't know why I feel like there was more substance to Prince and I guess that seems kind of counterintuitive because Prince was a lot of flamboyance but there was a lot going on, on under the surface I don't know that there was a lot going on underneath Elvis other than his pills and all that Prince he was he was more about attitude right yes like, but Prince, burn love, baby <laughs> Prince Prince Thank was you very like, much. he was a genius he was like yes. a musical genius like. I don't know. I do. I actually. I. I. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic when I say that I think he was on par with the greats like Beethoven and Mozart. Like, yes. and uh, yeah, and like any like prolific icon of of music. You know, I mean, that's he was right there. I mean, also just think about you know all of the music that he didn't even take credit for that he gave to other bands. Yes, make mm. themselves with because. You know, that was part of what he did as well, is to lift others up. What are some of the songs that, that he gave away? He gave away uh, Manic Monday to the Bengals, which, by the way, a little interesting side note, that that song was actually meant for Vanity Six. Whoa. Part, part, of, part of what Prince had in his contract with Warner Brothers was that he did have the ability to build other bands. So okay. he built, you know, More Stay in the Time, Vanity Six. Mm-hmm. And so that song was actually meant for them, but he ended up giving it to the Bengals instead. Huge hit for them too. Huge hit. Put them on the map, I think. Um, that's wow. the, that's the only song of theirs I know, other than I guess "Walk Like an Egyptian," but I don't know. Yeah, that, yeah. right. But they were always trying to catch up with Manic Monday. Yeah, that was the song. Jeez. Yeah. He did. I feel for you, which Shaka Khan made into a hit. Yeah. Um, obviously, one of the biggest ones that we all know is "Nothing Compares to You," which Sinead O'Connor. Oh, that song is just in a class all of its like how wow. How did he not make that his song? I mean, that's a purple rain quality song. Yeah. Right. And that was her that 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 made her, right? Yeah. And also Sheena Easton, he made really big. And Sugar Walls was one of the big songs that she had. Um, but he he was he was really I think he did a lot of co-writing with her on her big album. 
That's a, didn't you did did you see her recently at some kind of Prince thing? Uh, did Sheila you mention e. that Sheila E? Yeah, oh, Sheila E. Sheila E. Um, you know who he was really good friends with and did so much with in his life. And okay, that was at the Grammys tribute um, that I got to go see. Which wait, you were there at the Grammys tribute? I was there for the taping of the Grammys tribute. Oh, oh my right. God! So you wow, saw, like Foo Fighters doing "Darling Nikki" and he rolled tore it up. It wow. was it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean that and to see Morris Day in the time. Yes. I, mean, I was just beside myself. So that was a really special night. That was actually uh taped in October of 2019, aired in 2020. So um, right. it's still out there. People can go check it out on YouTube. But it was a phenomenal night and it was basically the Grammys, you know, honoring him, you know, on the the month that he died. Um, did the revolution play that night the revolution played and it was amazing and they had mavis staples come out and do purple rain with the revolution it oh was my god such an incredible night of celebration for prince um just all these like incredible stars that were there giving tribute with their music so um so sheila cool. sheila e i think was music supervisor maybe on it she was very involved in putting it on and she was uh, tireless with her drums and her energy, and she was fantastic. She was so amazing. So it was a really, really cool night. Um, but yeah, Dave Grohl just tore it up with Darlene Nikki. It was crazy. <laughs> I got to awesome. say my first introduction to more staying in the time, and I'm going to sound like such a dork here, was Jay <laughs> and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Sam, you know what I'm talking about at the end of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That was, and I was, and I was like, I found out later that they were involved with Prince. Um, but if I had to compare Prince's guitar playing to anybody, I mean, he could do anything. But I've got to tell you, Hendrix is the one that really, really nice. comes to mind. I've never heard anybody 100%. get as close to Hendrix as Prince did. I mean, and he even showed up Clapton on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I mean, that's the greatest guitar solo ever, right? What we're talking about yes. is... George Harrison's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, the band that night was like stacked. I mean, yeah. it's like Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff Lynne, Danny Harrison. I'm going to forget some of the guys there. And then like Prince was being inducted that night too. And he shows up with his like Telecaster clone that he had since he was a kid and just rips the most amazing the, the the best guitar solo in the world. I'll fight you on it if you say another guitar solo is better. No, I That's would I right would there. say I've told I've said before that I've got a handful of guitar solos that are the best of all time. One of them one of them would be Hotel California. I think that was Joe Walsh and uh, Don Felder doing a That's right. doing a dual solo. And then another one would have been Clapton on While My Guitar Gently Weeps until I heard Prince do it, and I'm like, oh my god. And then it's transcendent. Like, it's just like, and then he like takes the guitar and he's like, throws it up in the air at the end and it just disappears. Like what, what happened to that guitar? Do you know, Rebecca? Like, like where, how did they do that? Yeah, that, I, I believe they had it staged to, you know, obviously fly up, but. Prince is uh, magic. That's what happened. Prince is you, you freaking like, magic. He just throw his guitar and hope someone would catch it. Yep. But I don't, I don't think, I don't know. I think he would just like, just threw it up. He was like, someone's going to catch it. Yeah, yeah. I think there, I think there is some story about that. How he threw it up. They had prepared to catch it or bring it up or something. But I, I think it went to Oprah for a little bit, and then it, uh, she gave it back to somebody. Wow. But let's just talk a little bit about his passing. It was very sudden. I was shocked 
he wasn't even on my radar as somebody who would be passing away. I was he even 60 yet? No. 57. 57. Mm-hmm. 57 years. Wow. And he had so much left in the tank, but he had he had horrible hip pain, they said, because of all the jumping off monitors and landing on those high heels. I think Eddie Van Halen ended up having hip replacement for the same kind of stuff, which, go figure. I, I didn't think being a rock star would be so hazardous to your health other than drugs. Before he died, I guess a couple years before he died, he was on Arsenio Hall looking very much healthy and himself. And I got to tell you, when I saw that interview, it made me go, and you can look it up on YouTube. I think it was 2014 or 15. Prince, that's the most normal he'd ever seen. In fact, Arsenio Hall was saying, hey, remember remember Prince when we went down to the after-hours party and Prince got up like he was going to walk off the stage when Arsenio said that? And he was like, Prince is just a normal guy. And I would say Prince is not a normal guy, but Prince had normal moments. And it was so sad to find out that he was in so much pain. And I think that kind of ties back sort of to the Michael Jackson thing in a weird way. It is kind of like, not symbiotic, but it's there's a parallel between their lives. These brilliant singer musicians, Michael Jackson was brilliant in his own right. One of the best-selling artists of all time. And they both basically, because of their stage show because of laying their life down for their for their show for their audience they ended up in horrible pain which ended up kind of leading to their untimely passing i don't think anybody considers the physical toll that it takes on these artists and these musicians to do what they do i think people just think they're rock stars and they get paid a lot of money but prince was literally sacrificing his body for his art there's stories of him like practicing his spins and his heels to make sure he didn't fall over and that it was absolutely perfect over and over and over again, like working it over um, to make sure that it was, it was just right. You know, I don't know if it was like a struggle with perfectionism or, or what, but it certainly took a toll on his body to the point where, you know, I don't think he had a prescription for fentanyl, um, but that was, you know, what, what, you know, was an accidental uh, overdose from it, but he was definitely trying to compensate what the, the cost of what he had put his body through to achieve what he considered was his greatness. Absolutely. And that's, that's a, that's not a, that's not a story that's, that's rare in like rock and roll. No, it's uh, not. Well, I mean, I I don't don't know that it's necessarily was the right path every time or that there, I I guess I would take a slightly opposing view on whether or not it is a noble thing. And maybe you're not saying this, but whether or not it was, it it was a noble thing to give everything for the art too. Cause I think there's something to be said for, um, trying to balance that and not going to the crazy and, and, and into that side. But how do we even know what the day-to-day was like for these guys? That's what I'm getting at. I mean, for me, when yeah. I, when I played in bands, I, I sang all the time and I was not properly trained and I ended up getting calluses on my vocal cords. It took me probably, I don't know if I ever fully recovered from it. My voice still can be kind of scratchy now. And some people say, oh, that's cool. You're a rock and roll singer. Ah. But let me tell you, <laughs> that those hours on stage singing, people didn't realize the toll that it was taking on me until, yeah. until I had to go to the doctor because I'm like, I, my throat hurts, and they, they put a camera down my throat. And this is a guy that's just playing on weekends. I can't imagine the strain on the body of, of one of the most talented men of all time, musician-wise, you don't think about it. And people didn't think about, oh, oh, J-Mac's just up there. Jeremy's just up there screaming and doing his thing. 
guess what? It was taking its toll. After about a year and a half, it really wore me down. I can't imagine doing that for 38 years. And that just tells you the rock star life, while there's a lot of glamour to it, Prince was not all fluff. That's what I was getting at. Prince was, yeah. he put his money where his mouth was, He where the rubber meets the road. That guy was wearing himself out to put on a good show. Well, you know, I've heard similar stories from guys like, you know, Elton John, like Elton John. Yeah really you know big uh paraphrase here but he talks about like early on when he was really hitting it hard and he was blowing up and trying to push it there was a at some point where i think it was john lennon told him was like you got to slow down man you're not gonna be able to keep this up i mean look at guys like dave Chappelle. that this whole thing he took 12 years off from it because he was like i just wanted to sleep <laughs> i mean it's a yeah. it's a give and take like at the same time you know they're they're making a mark on the world and Sometimes that's what it takes, but I think it's that constant balance of that. You know, I, I can, I can relate to it in a small way. I still feel like I have more to give, but I also, you know, a desire of mine is to not like burn myself out to make something happen. And that's the thing is just like, you wonder, are they pushing too hard? Or are they just able to capable of more? And for whatever it, that equation equals out to, you can't deny that these people like Prince push themselves in the status of being an icon because they push it and hit it so hard and you can't deny their talent and their tenacity to make you know the amount and the quality of art that they made and i would say that's why that he's a legend and that's why i will never be a legend <laughs> because i don't have the work ethic <laughs> i mean just go well, th- go through the list i mean i read that rod stewart was on steroids for extended periods of time in the 70s in 80s because steroids reduced the swelling in his vocal cords from all the screaming and singing that he did. People don't realize the toll that performance takes out of people. It takes something out of you emotionally. It takes something out of you physically. And how much more so an artist that is just a bottomless well of talent than Prince? I mean, you you can speak to it. When you got a song, you got to get it out. You got to get it out. You're going to lose sleep over it. You're going to play your, like McCartney did on Sgt. Pepper, you're going to play your bass till your fingers bleed. So I I respect Prince. I'm not saying right or wrong. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for this. I just think Prince was an exceptionally brilliant man who kind of burned out early because of his brilliance. And that's, that's, now some people would say 57 is not early. 57 was far too early for that man. He had so much left to do. Such a talented guy. And I'm actually, in a certain way, glad i'm not that talented because i i would be dead already <laughs> it certainly took a toll on his body to where i think like he walked with a cane yeah like sometimes he had to walk with a cane because his hips hurt so bad so that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at what you see on stage is that's the presentation you don't see the toll that it takes on these guys and when you're an artist and you have something you got to get out it, it sometimes it hurts. It's like giving birth. I've said that sometimes with my with the, like the vocals on certain songs I've done or songwriting. It's it's a pain sometimes a painful process, and I think you can speak to that as well, Sam. Sometimes to get to that emotional level, maybe it's not physical, but to get that emotional level to write a song, it takes a lot. And Prince was writing all the time. I think they said he's got hundreds of songs never released, like fifty fully produced music videos. Can can you even imagine being in that guy's brain for an, a day? Can you even imagine how you would organize all those brilliant things going around in there? I don't have that many brilliant things going around in my brain. You know, and what's interesting too, I'll just say, one of the things I love the most about Prince um, is that as awesome as he was and as cool as he was, and 
you know, how he set the stage for so much music. He was so um, easy and down to earth and didn't take himself too seriously. I mean, if you remember, he did the soundtrack to Batman. Yep. Did episodes with the Muppets. Yeah. I mean, he was he was not afraid to let his guard down or laugh or be silly. And and I think that is an endearing trait um, for somebody who's awesome. And what an icon. I saw an article recently um, that I think came out maybe like a year or two after his passing or maybe a year after. I don't, I don't recall when it was, but there was an interview that never got published. And I forget what magazine it was for, but they published this article. And there's this thing that, you know, Prince, Prince was a believer in the Jehovah Witness uh, uh, tradition. Yep. And I know that he took it very seriously. And, and uh, that was a, a big part of who he was. But, but uh, I think one of the tenets that came from that from him is it maybe helped him find center, maybe. And uh, in this article, he's, he's talking about to the, to the interviewer, he was like, have you ever felt what it's like to just instantly forgive somebody? He's like, it's the greatest thing in the world. That just kind of stuck with me because I don't know about you, Rebecca or J-Mac, what you guys' experience is like. But like sometimes, sometimes I want to just kind of like hold on to <laughs> anger for a little bit because it like, it's almost like an anchor but like he's like saying just let it go right right away that's it's interesting philosophy for for someone as demanding and full of vision as he was i wonder if that's somebody mellowed out more later in life or that was you know always who he was well that interview that i saw that i referenced and like i said our listeners should go look it up it's arsenio hall i've never seen that guy look more normal and down to earth i mean of course he was prince he's wearing his purple robes and whatever the hell he was wearing but he was talking. He seemed so down to earth. In fact, when when Arsenio said he's just a regular guy, Prince almost got uncomfortable with the fact that, yeah, I am just a regular guy. They said when he went, to, it was a house party. He went to this house party with Ar- Ar- Arsenio, and Arsenio said Prince wouldn't touch nothing. He wouldn't drink nothing. He was barely breathing. We've all been in situations where we're like. I don't know about this. Even Prince was going, I don't know, this party's too wild for me. I wish, you know, I actually never got to see David Bowie in person, which is insane. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I never saw David Bowie. I never saw Prince in person. Rebecca, have you you ever seen him in person? Did you see him in a show or anything ever? I saw him at the Golden Globes, but he was not performing. He was presenting. But it was still the only time I've ever physically laid eyes on him. That had to be incredible. That was incredible. He snuck in at the last minute right before the show was going to start because he was like uh, a presenter and kind of leading off. And I was with a friend of mine who was from Minneapolis and had told me so many stories about growing up in Minneapolis and how cool Prince was and how he would open Paisley Park to the community to come in and take in a free concert. As he oh, did he did that a lot, didn't he? Runs. Yeah. yeah. So there were all these great stories. And so I was with this friend and he taps me on the shoulder and he was like, look who's here. And I look over and it Whoa. was Prince and he was at a table not too far away. And he was looking right in my direction. He had on gold tinted glasses. So yeah, knows, he did. Who knows where he was looking. But <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Prince is looking at me. I was like, maybe he's looking at me. I don't know. Yeah, I think he was. But, I mean, he had to, he had to feel like the weight of my stare because I was so torn on what do I do? What I do? Do I go and make a fool of myself? But yes, yes, um, you do. <laughs> I didn't, and I regret it. But the show is about to start, and I just figured security would probably pull me away. But um, he, <laughs> he was is the, Prince, after all. I mean, like, he I was understand. the coolest cat. I mean, he, he was is. the coolest. And it was really hard to get the, the crowd to shut up. Nobody wanted to stop clapping for him. And it, it, he reached a point where 
he was a little bit embarrassed and actually took his hands and was kind of like, all right, all right, that's enough. We've got to move on with the show. Um, but it, nobody wanted to stop cheering for him. We were, everybody was so shocked that he was in the room. And when he was done and he was heading out, he had his cane and he walked with such style and flair. And he was not afraid <laughs> to look at people and smile on the way out, kind of exiting. So uh -huh. yeah, that, but I never, unfortunately got to see him perform and I will weep forever for that, for missing that, that concert that night. So before we go, do you want me to drop on you my Prince Rolling Stone story? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely want to hear that. Okay, well, I'll give you a chance after we end to uh, say with your piece. But Rolling, the Rolling Stones asked Prince to open for them. I guess this, I want to say this was 81. I could be wrong, but it was early 80s. And Mick Jagger and I think Charlie Watts were all about Prince. Keith Richards, not so much. <laughs> so, remember, he's opening for the Rolling Stones. So he goes out on the stage in a trench coat and like a bikini. Nothing, okay. nothing but black underwear and a, a black trench coat. He made it through three songs before the Rolling Stones fans ran him off stage by throwing crap at him. They were wow. like, "What is going on?" And that's what that's what that's what I would say. Like, be you. Who ended who who ended up winning in the end? Prince won in the end. I guess you could say the Rolling right. Stones won. But <laughs> there's been times in my life where I've run around with two little clothes on and I, I wouldn't look like Prince. Wait, wait, are you telling me you were like running on like when you were saying you were sitting on stage in like a trench coat and a bikini? No, I'm saying I, 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 I'm saying that happened at parties. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair enough, I guess. So <laughs> in your mind's eye, imagine and now opening for the Rolling Stones, Prince Rogers Nelson or whatever they say and he comes out <laughs> and he opens his trench coat in nothing but a tiny little man thong and Mick Jagger's like Oh yeah, oh yeah, you get that, you get that. Yeah, and I don't know what they were worried about because, like, Mick Jagger is one of the most flamboyant front men of like rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, Mick, he, Mick, he, Mick Jagger liked it, but Keith Richards was like, "Oh bloody hell, oh bloody hell." <laughs> Charlie Watts is he's just like, you know, whatever. I don't <laughs> think Charlie Watts cared. I mean, from my from what I read, it was only Keith Richards that was upset about it. I would have paid hard money to watch. Prince get run off the stage by angry, I guess, slightly homophobic Rolling Stones fans, which like I said, how Seriously. do you, how can you be homophobic? And I'm not saying Mick Jagger's gay, but he's very flamboyant. I don't see, other than the thong, Mick Jagger and, and Prince had some of the same moves. He was just ahead of his time. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, you know, when he dropped like, so his first record for, for you, I think you said it earlier. I think he was only like 17 or 18 when that record dropped and he came out fully formed. And then like, he before Purple Rain, he put out. I want to say that there was at least three other albums. It was a lot. It was years. a lot. It was a lot for for that small of amount of a time. I mean, like on controversy, you know, he started to break through. Or I think it was was uh, Rebecca. Do you remember was was Dirty Mind and Controversy? Did that come out before Purple Rain? Yeah, it and did. It did. It came out before. So those are all like really seminal records for him that like are defining his style. But like that was an uphill battle for him. You know, he was like different than everything, like because he was like mixing like rock and funk, and he was mixing blues and like R and B. Yeah. You know, to create like the what he called this Minneapolis sound, and you know his other artists that he his friends like what like okay, you're gonna know this way better than I do, uh, Rebecca. I heard a story that he was like in high school with Morris Day or something like that. Is that true? Yeah, they were in a band together in uh, high school, and uh, it was. 
called Grand Central and Morris Day was on the drums and Prince was singing. And at some point, I think Morris Day's mother tried to manage the band a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, so that's how he and uh, Morris Day actually met. So he just like from the beginning would like take people under his wing and like bring them under his umbrella and then just like make this thing happen. And the way that you hear like Wendy and Lisa talk about him now, or like anybody else in the in the revolution, they 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 they're just mourn their their friend that was like such a dynamic part of their life. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with, which is why arguably I think he's like probably one of the best ways to start our series on icons, because you know there's always he has such a wealth of work. Every time I die do a deep dive on Prince, there's always more that I didn't discover before. I would just say. You know, I would also drive people to check out the Dave Chappelle skit about <laughs> him because, it's and it's a great snapshot into who Prince really was. I mean, he, he was just this kind of crazy, fun guy. Also, I will say that Prince, if he's not the greatest frontman of all time, he's got to be top five. I mean, we—that's that, a short list to be able to play lead guitar better than anybody else. Sing arguably better than any other front man and have a better stage persona. And like I said, I didn't really, before I kind of started researching it, I didn't realize how dynamic and how much he could do. And like I said, I would also redirect people back to that 2007 Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, he's so he's so singular. There, there's when you like, he's someone you compare other things to, you don't compare him to other stuff. There will never be another prince, if there will, it won't be in our lifetime. I totally agree with that. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca, for coming on with us. I hope you will join us for some of our other Icon series, because I'm sure you've got a lot to say about many things. You seem like a very well-informed person, both musically and culturally. Well, thank you. It was so fun to be with you guys. You're amazing. It was great to talk. I mean, Prince is one of my favorite topics, so I'm so happy to join and just kind of celebrate him as the first in your Icon series. It was so amazing to have you on the show, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us. For two tape decks and a mixing board, I'm Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying, stay Stay cosmic. cosmic.